This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Methods of Increasing Knowledge and Learning. In the first half, Melissa Heath shares her address, Becoming More Teachable. Then in the second half, Val Joe Anderson speaks on Into the Burn. Over the past month, our ward has welcomed several newborn babies. Each baby comes to this earth curious and eager to learn. They want to taste everything, chew everything, and pull on everything. I imagine that from a baby's point of view, everything in this world is new and amazing. As we anticipated our exodus from the spirit world, we placed great trust in the plan of salvation. We trusted Heavenly Father and our Savior. In their wisdom, they knew that our spirits would initially flourish best in the physical form of a baby. When we were spirits, when they were united with our physical bodies, we became helpless and totally dependent on our caregivers. We forgot our previous knowledge and relationships. It must have been a huge shock to have our spirit and physical body unite, but we were confident in the plan of salvation. We were confident that this earthly life, including the merging of our spirit and physical body, was a necessary step in our eternal progression. Confident in our Savior's atonement, we came to earth knowing that we could return to our heavenly home. Each of us started fresh and innocent and began learning the many things we needed to know in order to function on this earth and continue our eternal progression. We are children of our Heavenly Father. Each individual who comes to this earth is given an extraordinary capacity for learning and growth. We have opportunities in this life to learn information that would have been difficult, if not impossible, to learn in the spirit world. For instance, learning to ride a bicycle would be difficult to accomplish if we only observed others riding their bicycles. Even more difficult would be learning to ride our bicycle if our sole preparation was merely reading books about bicycle riding. Learning by doing is an amazing process. Most of us scraped our knees and elbows as we repeatedly tried to master cycling without the training wheels. Most of us were successful. We now ride a bicycle without much thought or regard to our initial difficulties, fears, and injuries. Fortunately, as young children, we were not faced with simultaneous challenges that overwhelmed our capacity to learn and progress. For example, on the same day or week we learned to ride a bicycle, we were not faced with learning to drive a car, pilot an airplane, and fly a rocket to the moon. Typically, as Nephi described in 2 Nephi 28.30, our learning progresses line upon line, precept upon precept. At Brigham Young University, before we go forth to serve, we enter to learn. We read books, listen to lectures, discuss topics, write papers, and take tests. Many of you will complete a practicum or internship in which you apply your academic learning to real-life situations. The glory of God is intelligence, 
or in other words, light and truth. Whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his obedience and diligence than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. Because attaining knowledge is such an important task and a lifelong endeavor, it is important to understand the meaning and implications of being teachable. When we are teachable, the Holy Ghost bears witness of truth and we increase in knowledge and wisdom. In 2 Nephi 28, the prophet Nephi saw our day and warned us about the challenges of living and learning in these latter days. Even though Nephi offered these words approximately 2,572 years ago, his vision was inspired and crystal clear regarding these perilous times. This Book of Mormon chapter's synopsis reads, Many false churches shall be built up in the last days. They shall teach false and vain and foolish doctrines. Apostasy shall abound because of false teachers. The devil shall rage in the hearts of men. He, the devil, shall teach all manner of false doctrines." Likening the scriptures to my personal life, I took this synopsis and placed responsibility on myself, the learner. In 2012, men and women shall join many false organizations. They shall learn false and foolish doctrines. Apostasy shall abound, and I will be pulled into personal apostasy if I listen to and learn from false teachers. Many will allow the devil to rage in their hearts. I will not allow the devil to rage in my heart. I will avoid learning all manner of false doctrines from the devil's teachings. Although the very existence of false teachings is troublesome, our eternal progression is blocked when we accommodate and assimilate these false teachings into our beliefs and way of life. The end product is misery. As Alma warned his son Corianton, wickedness never was happiness. In direct opposition to Satan's false teachings, the gospel of Jesus Christ and our obedience to God's commandments help us move forward in our eternal progression. In regard to moving forward, 2 Nephi 28.30 emphasizes the importance of being teachable. Quote, For behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, and blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts, and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For unto him that receiveth I will give more. Today I am recommending four strategies to help us become more teachable and to facilitate our eternal progression. Number one, stick to the gospel's fundamental principles. Number two, have a grateful heart. Number three, conquer pride by choosing to be humble. 
And number four, recalibrate and get back on track. The first point, stick to the gospel's fundamental principles. Have you ever studied for an exam without knowing the exact information that you would be required to know? The exam may cover several textbooks, and the exam's grade may factor heavily into your course grade. This uncertainty of not knowing what to memorize or not knowing what to study can cause great anxiety. You do not know which pieces of information are the most important or which pieces of information the professor thinks are the most important. Sometimes we are overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information available through the Internet and library resources. There are literally thousands of books available on every imaginable topic. One important lifelong skill is being able to prioritize information, being able to focus on the most important pieces, and knowing how these pieces fit into the bigger picture. During his ministry, the Savior boiled down critical information and summarized key points to help us focus on fundamental principles. His words and his actions provide a perfect model for us to follow. He emphasized the importance of obedience, and he identified the first and greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, the Savior responded to a lawyer's question regarding which was the greatest commandment. Quote, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Unquote. His teachings identified the gospel's fundamental principles, the very most important things we need to know and do. In a revelation given to the prophet Joseph Smith and recorded in section 42 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord said, If thou lovest me, thou shalt serve me and keep all my commandments. Unquote. Obedience is important, and interestingly, love and obedience are paired together. This will not change. We are expected to keep the commandments. To show our love for God, we must keep His commandments. This principle is important and is reiterated by every prophet. Contrary to Satan's teachings, being obedient is not restrictive. In fact, obedience keeps us free of spiritual bondage. Obedience allows us to have the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost and keeps our minds open to learning and feeling the love of our Savior and our Heavenly Father. We must stick to the fundamental of being obedient because obedience helps us become more teachable and facilitates our eternal progression. The gospel's fundamental principles, such as the importance of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the necessity of repentance and turning from sin, obedience to the Ten Commandments, and the avoidance of pride, are repeated in the Book of Mormon by the prophet Abinadi 
King Benjamin, Alma, and Moroni. In the scriptures, several prophets and righteous men closed their earthly lives with their final words of wisdom that clarify the fundamental principles of the gospel, their parting message. In the movies, dying individuals also give their parting messages, sort of a nice way to emotionally emphasize critical information and manipulate the audience's emotions, often with dramatic music to draw some tears. However, the scriptural accounts of parting messages are accompanied by the witness of the Holy Ghost. These messages contain the gospel's fundamental teachings. These teachings are real, not imaginary, and in no way are these messages intended to manipulate or control the listener. Unfortunately, those who were there to hear firsthand the passionate message of a dying prophet may or may not have benefited everything depending on if the individual was teachable. Those leaving their final parting messages most desired that the younger generation and future generations might avoid common pitfalls and carnal behavior that stunt the ability to learn and halt eternal progression. These righteous men passed the spiritual baton on to the next generation. It is important to note these repeated messages, the fundamentals, all of which are intended to help us prepare for our eternal exam, often referred to in the scriptures as the final judgment. When reading the scriptures, we must listen carefully and learn fundamental lessons as if we were sitting at the prophet's knee, witnessing his final urgent message. These parting messages placed an emphasis on fundamentals that are repeated by our modern-day prophets. Listen, learn, and stick to the gospel's fundamental principles. The second topic, have a grateful heart. The Lord loves a grateful heart. In November 2000, President Gordon B. Hinckley urged the youth to be grateful. The first of six B's he counseled the youth to follow. He urged them to walk with gratitude in their hearts and to express gratitude to their parents, friends, and teachers. He also counseled the youth to, quote, Thank the Lord for His goodness to you." This inspired advice applies to individuals of all ages, including university students, staff, and faculty. A grateful heart is an important ingredient in becoming more teachable. When I came to BYU in 1999, I was awestruck by the incredible beauty of the mountains, particularly Mount Timpanogos and the way morning's light struck the edges and angles of the rocky cliffs. Each day, as I drove to campus, I breathed in a deep, satisfied breath and said a prayer of gratitude for the beauty of these mountains. One day I said to myself, I will say a prayer of gratitude each day as I soak in the earth's beauty. Several months later, after I became preoccupied with my to-do list, 
and my responsibilities. I hurriedly pulled into BYU's parking lot and gathered my things. I had a moment of clarity. It had been several days since I had even noticed the mountains, let alone said my prayer of gratitude for the beauty of those mountains. I had developed a spiritual callus. The mountains were still there, but sadly and to my detriment, other things clouded my attention. I resolved to daily take time to enjoy the beauty around me and to express my gratitude to Heavenly Father. Feelings of gratitude soften our hearts and open our minds to learning. The Prophet Joseph Smith spoke frequently of the importance of expressing gratitude to the Lord. Though facing challenging situations, persecution, and carrying the heavy responsibility of opening this dispensation, Joseph Smith was inspired to share these words, D&C 46.32, And he must give thanks unto God in the Spirit for whatsoever blessing ye are blessed with. D&C 78.19, And he who receiveth all things with thankfulness shall be made glorious, and the things of this earth shall be added unto him, even an hundredfold, yea, more. D&C 98.1 Verily I say unto you, my friends, fear not. Let your hearts be comforted. Yea, rejoice evermore, and in everything give thanks. In this recent April conference, Elder Russell M. Nelson gave a talk titled, Thanks Be to God. He commented, quote, How much better it would be if all could be more aware of God's providence and love and express that gratitude to Him. Our degree of gratitude is a measure of our love for Him. He also quoted Ammon's teaching from Alma 26.8, Let us give thanks to God, for He doth work righteousness forever. Choosing to have a grateful heart is an important strategy in becoming more teachable because it prepares our hearts to be humble and open to the promptings of the Spirit. The third strategy, conquer pride by choosing to be humble. Also in his November 2000 address, President Hinckley urged the youth to, quote, be humble, unquote. The fifth of the six B's He identified the meek and the humble as those who are teachable. In Doctrine and Covenants 112, verse 10, the Lord counseled Thomas B. Marsh to, quote, Be thou humble, and the Lord thy God shall lead thee by the hand and give thee answer to thy prayers, unquote. When we are humble, we are ready to listen and follow the Lord's direction. In the April 1989 General Conference, President Ezra Taft Benson spoke on a topic that remains especially relevant to me. He described pride as, quote, the greatest stumbling block to Zion, unquote. Pride makes us deaf to the promptings of the Holy Ghost. Pride takes a heavy toll on our earthly life and on our eternal life. When we allow pride to enter into our lives, we will not and cannot learn 
the most important things in this life nor in the eternities. We become hard-hearted, stiff-necked, and spiritually blinded. President Benson observed that for those who are infected with pride, quote, the world shouts louder than the whisperings of the Holy Ghost, unquote. President Benson identified the core ingredient of pride as enmity, which starts with competitive feelings and a desire to be better than others. Then come feelings of being offended, then contentiousness, and ultimately an intense hatred toward God and mankind. The opposite of humility, enmity, is the alluring and controlling power Satan uses. Rather than the Savior's thy will be done and the glory be thine, Satan's statement is my will be done and the glory be mine. It is a battle of the wills. What characteristics of pride impede learning? For the prideful, the purpose of life narrows down to an obsession with being better than others. One's focus becomes warped, dark, and evil. Pride destroys unity and oneness. It destroys us and those around us. Pride keeps us from confessing our sins. It keeps us from forsaking our sins. Pride literally diverts and squelches the physical and spiritual ability to learn. Pride leads to rebellion, hate, contentiousness, unrighteous dominion, and abusive control of others. Sadly, the prideful are easily offended. They are unforgiving, and they will not take correction and feedback. In other words, their learning and all interpersonal relationships in this life are stunted. Even more tragic is the poor eternal prognosis for those who succumb to pride. Although pride is potentially a terminal condition, there is an antidote—humility. Choose to be humble. When we are humble, we are teachable, opening our minds and hearts to spiritual learning. In Mosiah 3, verse 19, King Benjamin states, For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord and becomes as a child submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child doth submit to his father." On a personal note, to help me avoid flattery and deception and the end result of sliding down the slippery slope of pride, I have created a realistic and disturbing image. Although flattery feeds our ego, it is nothing more than a lure snatched by a starving rat now writhing on a cheeseless trap. So avoid the cheese. Once this trap snaps shut, it is very hard to escape. In becoming teachable, we must conquer pride 
by choosing to be humble. And the fourth strategy, recalibrate and get back on track. As we recognize we are off the path and are headed in the wrong direction, we must recalibrate and head back in the right direction. On a recent trip to Dallas-Fort Worth, before I left the airport in a rental car, I plugged in my GPS and proceeded to type in my destination. I left the rental car lot and listened carefully for the directions. Turn left and proceed 500 feet. I carefully followed those directions. About four turns into the trip, the GPS told me to turn left, but on the left was a barrier blockading a closed road. Luckily, it was around 11 o'clock p.m., and no other traffic was on the road. As I started to panic, the GPS clearly stated, Merge onto I-15 and head north, traveling towards Salt Lake City. Now I was totally flustered. For some reason, my GPS thought I was in Utah. I pulled off the road, turned off the GPS, and waited a few seconds. Restarted the GPS, retyped the Texas address. And within a few seconds, the correct set of directions were displayed, and I was guided to the intended destination, my targeted goal. From a spiritual sense, when we realize we are going in the wrong direction, we must stop and get back on the right track. And the sooner, the better. From a personal experience, I know that the best way to get back on track and keep on track is to stick to those things that I know are right and true. For me, this includes daily scripture reading, personal prayer, and attending sacrament meeting. Is this basic and simple? Yes, it is. However, when I fall short in doing those three things, my learning is stunted because I lose calibration and start to head off in the wrong direction. A few years ago, I attended groups sponsored by the LDS 12-step Addiction Recovery Program. I attended with a dear friend, and together we supported each other. These groups are held every day of the week at various locations throughout the Wasatch Front. Recovering from an addiction is a lifelong challenge. My friend and I learned practical lessons from group members. I learned that successful days of sobriety are never lost. When you slip and fall back into old patterns of addiction, it is critical that you immediately get back on track. Repent by following the necessary steps to get back on track and move forward to add another day of sobriety to your new history. You do not lose your days of sobriety. Instead, you keep those previous days of sobriety and simply add your new days to the tally. I appreciated the fact that you keep making new history. What a positive way to think about getting back on track and staying on track. Contrary to Satan's voice that tells us things are hopeless, that we are worthless, and that we are forever lost, our Savior wants all of us to repent as quickly as possible, get back on track, and come unto Him. In closing, it is my prayer that we strive to become more teachable by knowing and living the gospel's fundamental principles, having a grateful heart, conquering pride and choosing to be humble, and recalibrating and getting back on track.
Living these strategies takes courage and honesty, a willingness to submit to the Lord's eternal truths, and a trust in God that He knows each of us personally and wants us to become more teachable. He wants us to be teachable so that we can learn of Him, make changes to be like Him, and return to Him. The Holy Ghost bears witness of truth. Listen for that witness. If we are teachable, we will feel and hear that spiritual witness. I bear testimony that God lives and that Jesus is the Christ, our perfect example. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Methods of Increasing Knowledge and Learning. We've just heard from Melissa Heath. After the break, we'll return with Val Joe Anderson for Into the Burn. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Methods of Increasing Knowledge and Learning. Next is Val Jo Anderson, Chair of the BYU Department of Plant and Wildlife Sciences at the time of this address, titled Into the Burn. I grew up on a small farm in Sanpete County, Utah, about 70 miles south of Provo. And as I review my life, I recognize the Lord's guidance and perhaps even intervention that's directed me onto paths I would have never thought to pursue myself. From a very young age, I knew that what I wanted to be when I grew up. My grandfather owned a local sawmill, logged his own trees, and as a little boy, I would go to the mountains with him often. And while we were there working, he would uh, uh, be, be working along, and I'd look up on the mountain, and there were some guys in green trucks that would pull up on the ridgeline. And I asked Grandpa, who are those guys? And he said, well, those are forest rangers. I, I said, well, what do they do? And he said, well, they sit up there in their green trucks, drive around the forest, and watch other people work. <laughs> and immediately, I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> that was kind of one of those revelatory moments. So I uh, never had to wonder. I worked really hard through college. I wanted to be a good student. And nearing the end of my degree, I could almost feel the relaxing seat of my new green truck. But God had other plans for me. Just before I graduated, he let Ronald Reagan get elected to be the president. And one of Reagan's first actions was to freeze all federal hiring. So no forest ranger for me and no green truck. I continued on to a master's program doing research in North Africa and then on to a Ph.D. in another foreign place, Texas. Before, uh, before I'd finished there, I found myself back here at BYU. And I thank God that he has uh, enough caring for me to guide my path. BYU is a wonderful place to work and learn. And in my early life, I would never have been able to dream of this job that's given me and my family so many wonderful opportunities. The only bad thing is that I had to buy my own green truck. 
But I still get to watch other people work. They're called students. <laughs> Graduates and undergraduates. Well, we all have to learn. We all have to be taught. I've heard it said that there are three kinds of learners. There are non-learners, people who make mistakes and then make the same mistake time after time. And then there are experienced learners. They make a mistake once and learn from it, never to make the same mistake again. Then there are observational learners, those who observe the consequences of others making the mistake and learn from that, never having to make the mistake themselves at all. While we all fall into each of these categories sometimes, by nature, I mostly fit the middle group. Growing up, I was a learn-by-doing kind of kid. Among other family chores was the twice-daily milking of our small herd of Jersey cows. We milked by hand, and being the baby of the family and too small to milk, my assignment was to herd the cows in and out of the barn and then clean up the milk barn floors at the end of each milking session. It seemed as if those cows would save up all night so they could relieve themselves on my shiny clean floor. Being an observant child, I noticed that before they made their green deposit, they always lifted their tail. Well, that signal gave me the best idea. I would stand by with my large aluminum scoop shovel, and when the tail went up, the scoop went under, and I caught the prize before it had a chance to splatter all over that milk barn floor. <laughs> my dad... Seemingly amused and unimpressed by my creativity, said, Son, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And I thought to myself, Yeah, sure, but you don't have to clean up this mess every day. So I chose to ignore him, and he allowed it. A couple of days later, after nearly total and satisfying success, the tail went up, the scoop went under, and midway through the event, that cow gave a great cough. <laughs> now, at my age and that stature, I had a bird's-eye view of this fine part of the cow's anatomy. And that cough sent a spray of pasty liquid green that covered me from head to toe. I stood there mortified. My dad came over laughing and wiped the outline of first the one eye, then the other, and simply said, I told you not to do that. <laughs> it was my first lesson of lean not unto thine own understanding. <laughs> it was a lesson that at that moment I would have liked to have learned by obedience and trust. Another great lesson was learned when, as a young man of 18, I took a summer job with the U.S. Forest Service. One of our duties was to be part of a 20-man fire crew that could be called out from time to time to fight wildfires. Earlier, a wildfire claimed the lives of four firefighters when, in a panic, they failed to follow the direction of their crew boss and tried to outrun an unexpected, fierce advance of a fire. The shockwaves of that incident were felt around the region, and rigorous training ensued. Following without hesitation or question, the command of the crew boss was given particular emphasis. We fought several fires that season, and then late in August, as our crew was called out to fight a wildfire in Southern California, 
This was a large fire that had many crews dispatched to fight it. Our crew, along with two other crews, was assigned a sector of the fire. It was a chaparral brush fire that had a tremendous fine fuel load of dried grasses and weeds in the understory. We were obliged to make a two-mile hike from the nearest road through the brush to where the fire was burning. It was not a particularly intense blaze, and we were to build black line, a fire line right against the burning edge of the fire. As our three 20-man crews, marching single file through the brush, approached the fire, the sector boss suddenly appeared on the nearby ridge line, and his urgent command was to become indelibly impressed upon my mind. His voice screamed through our radios, She's blowing up! She's blowing up! Into the burn! My pulse raced and my heart sank as I watched the small campfire-type flames fanned on by an intense wind shift transform into a raging inferno racing directly toward us. The command of Into the Burn meant that we would charge through the fire and into the area where the fire had consumed the fuel. My instinctive impulse was to turn and run, and I could see others considering that option. Our crew boss, without hesitation, reiterated the command, Into the Burn! And though it did not seem the intuitive thing to do, my training and my memory of the tragic earlier deaths compelled me to follow my leader through that wall of fire. On the other side, we found a blackened moonscape where the fire could not return. With eyes and lungs burning from the heat, whirling smoke and ash, we relented to dancing on the top of hot rocks to protect our feet from the searing deep ash. We had made the right decision and were preserved. After about 30 minutes, the wind died down and we were able to cross back out of the burn and begin our black line. This was an intense lesson that helped me to understand the importance of knowing in advance who you should trust and follow without hesitation, especially when the correct choice may be obscured by our own limited experience or our instinctive bias. That lesson was reinforced in my life just a few years ago when I was invited to participate in a grizzly bear study in Alaska with uh, and now one of our professors, Dr. Tom Smith. Uh, we were to observe the responses of grizzlies to the influences of smells, sounds, and colors that humans bring into the backcountry. Part of that experience was a safety training session, which included instruction of what to do if approached or charged by a bear. If charged by a grizzly, the instruction we received was to turn and face the bear. Do not run and invoke that predator-prey killing response. Uh, make yourself as big in posture as possible and yell at the bear to go away. Well, I had been in Alaska before, and I had tried to search to see a bear and hadn't been too lucky. So I wasn't too concerned, and I took the training somewhat lightly. Shortly after the training, the bear biologist that had trained us asked if I wanted to go with him to wade the river and count bears. Of course, I couldn't wait. We donned our chest waders and were off for a two-kilometer walk in a river. I couldn't believe all the bears and how close we were and how much they didn't seem to care. In that walk, we counted over 40 grizzlies. And on our way back, we got behind a mother bear and her three little cubs. She was going painfully slow. And I suggested 
that we pass her. The biologist said that that was only a good idea if I was tired of breathing. (laughs) So we waited until a place where the river made a great horseshoe bend, and we had our chance to cut through on a brushy trail to get ahead of her. In our haste, we apparently intruded on another bear that we hadn't seen. And as I waddled down the path behind my guide, I heard the huff and the paw-pounding of another large bear coming up quickly behind us. The biologist, true to his training, faced the attack, taking up a firm stand right behind me. (laughs) As I turned to face the bear, armed only with my small can of bear mace, it dawned on me why they had invited this great big juicy botanist to join the party. I mean, what bear in the right mind would choose a tofu diet burger biologist when they could have the super double deluxe meal, tender and juicy botanist, and yes, fries with that? Well, while turning to run seemed the prudent thing to do, I trusted and followed the instruction I had received. Facing the bear, and in my deepest, most menacing voice, I yelled repeatedly, Go away, bear! Well, the bear pulled up just short of me. She paused for what seemed to be an eternal moment, twisted her head back and forth, and then just slipped away into the underbrush. As I regained my faculties, I realized that I had begun to breathe again. After checking to be sure that I still had all of my body parts and functions, I followed my biologist friend back to camp, who was explaining how that charge really hadn't been so bad. (laughs) I've often reflected back on these occasions and considered the faith I had in the wisdom and decisions of my Forest Service crew boss and the bear biologist trainer, and in the pre-event decision that I had made to follow them. I've pondered the analogous circumstances in which many of our recorded prophets had found themselves being faced with commands from God that were, if anything, counterintuitive. How and why did they respond? I think of the response of Adam to the angel when asked why he offered sacrifices. I know not, save the Lord commanded me. Burning the biggest, unflawed, best of his flock and the harvest must have seemed such a waste. Noah, likewise, was given a command which seemed very odd. He built a huge and immovable ship far from the water's edge. He likely endured endless ridicule at the highly improbable event that the whole earth, being consumed by a flood, and then hence the utility of such a vessel. When Abraham, after years of faithful obedience, was finally blessed with a child, his mind and heart must have undoubtedly questioned the command to take his only son to the mount and offer him a sacrifice. Sadly, but willing to do the Lord's will, based on his faith, Abraham built an altar and nearly executed his son before the Lord interceded and accepted his diligence as the offering. Perhaps more similar to my own circumstance and experience, I can relate to the uncertainty that must have crossed the minds of the children of Israel 
as Moses gave the command to follow him into the depths of the Red Sea to escape the armies of Egypt? Well, a question that is logically posed is, how do I know who to trust and follow? This question brings us back to the styles of learning. We all learn by doing. Experience following a leader will build or destroy our confidence in them according to their record of success. Even as a young commander, Moroni led his people successfully in war against the Lamanites. But he also led during peacetime, devoting himself to preparations of his people and fortifying their lands. These people recognized that following Moroni was a safe and prudent decision. Perhaps more critical than recognizing temporal leadership of men is the recognition of a divine influence and the power of his spirit to direct our lives. Nearing the end of my master's program, I had the opportunity to attend an international professional meeting in Adelaide, Australia. A post-conference tour took us on a 10-day adventure from Adelaide on the south coast across the outback to Darwin on the north coast. Out in the middle, we stopped near Alice Springs, a place called Ayers Rock. This is a large sandstone dome that seemingly rises up with nearly vertical walls over 1,100 feet from the desert floor. A tourist route up the most gentle slope has metal posts cemented into the stone and connected to each other with chains. Even so, this is only a feat for the fit and the adventurous. The night before our chance to assail the rock, a South African adventurer, a park ranger, and my roommate decided to do a free climb on the back side of Ayers Rock. This plan, hatched out over a few too many at the local bar, was shared with me upon my roommate's return to our room. I'm still not sure how, but early the next morning, I found myself following these characters in the ascent. The first 500 feet wasn't so bad, but being the only climbing novice in the group, I was lagging behind, getting tired, and a little nervous. It was apparent that we were past the point of returning, as I found going up the steep sandstone was much easier than going down. Three-quarters of the way up, I found a little impression in which I could rest. I sat there, and I knew I was in trouble. My legs had turned to jelly and quivered uncontrollably. I was scared nearly to the point of panic. My companions, all experienced climbers, were struggling to find solid grips as the sandstone composition was flaky near the top. Seemingly strong grips would just peel off when exposed to weight. As I sat there on my perch and looked out over that vast, beautiful desert, I thought my family might want to know what I saw in my last moments on earth. I pulled out my camera, slipped off the case, snapped a couple of photos, and was brought back to reality as my camera case tumbled down the slope and previewed my unseemly path to the bottom. Paralyzed with fear, realizing one slip would have me ending with a splat, I wished I had told somebody where we had gone, but no one knew. I'm not even sure what we were doing was legal, and my hungover companions were not bolstering any confidence. 
I felt despair and alone. And then a thought occurred, and I instantly remembered that somebody knew where I was. God knew. In an awkward beginning, realizing he knew how I had ended up in this predicament, and also knowing I had probably not listened to still-voiced counsel, I began to plead with the Lord. In an effort to show my sincerity, I entered into one of those deal-making prayers. Lord, I'll give up this and this, and maybe even that. Uh, And I'll do this and this, if you'll just get me out of this mess. It was then I realized that my legs had stopped trembling, my breathing had slowed, and peace came over me. My group had found a way up the slope, and though it was the most treacherous, the steepest, and required the greatest strength and effort, I seemingly scrambled up to the top with a renewed confidence. That was one of those moments in life where you receive an infusion of spiritual reality and gain a sense of who you can really trust in every place and in every circumstance. From time to time, we can have these powerful manifestations of His power and presence. It often comes when we are sufficiently humbled by external forces but can come more often and more powerfully when we mature to true discipleship. Through training and the development of faith, I take courage in the words of Nephi when he told his father Lehi, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded, for I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he hath commanded them. Part of our mission on earth is to exercise agency and be tested to see if we can have the faith to do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. I am reminded of Saul's experience. After defeating the Amalekites, the Lord had commanded him to utterly destroy the Amalekites and all of their possessions without exception. Instead, Paul brought back the best of the flocks and other spoils to make a sacrifice unto God. He was chastened by the Lord through the prophet Samuel. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Rather than follow the commandment precisely, Saul did what he thought was best, and he did what was intuitive. Now an adequate test of our faith must necessarily be something that seems counterintuitive. Otherwise, we could trust in the arm of flesh, lean unto our own understanding, and make the right decision without exercising our faith in God. Early in our marriage, my dear wife Anne introduced a motto for our family, which she has continually taught our children and occasionally has had to remind me, that when the prophet speaks, the debate is over. This sound advice countermands all arguments, justifications, and rationales. Following this simple motto will always be to our benefit. We must each be prepared ourselves and about training our children and others for the trials which will surely come upon us. These trials will undoubtedly take many forms and may be faced alone or by the masses. In any event, our faith must be tested individually and independently. 
Few will face the unusual and high drama events of Moses, Paul, Nephi, or Joseph Smith in their trials. For most of the saints, their trials will center in the common elements of the gospel that when placed in unusual circumstances will seem impractical, illogical, or impossible. For one, pain and tithing, an honest tithe, may seem inordinately illogical when putting a roof overhead and bread on the table requires more than they have. As a bishop, I sat in council with people who, when pressed to financial extremes, chose not to pay their tithes. I promised them the Lord's blessings as he spoke through Malachi when he said, Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. While I had no fear in the pledging the Lord's promise to them, I knew that they could not receive these great blessings if they could not live by faith and prove the Lord by paying tithing first. Other people struggle to accept a call to serve in local wards and stakes or perhaps a full-time mission. These time liabilities may seem to come at an inappropriate or an inconvenient time of life or at a perceived opportunity cost. I have found that my most productive years at work are positively correlated with the years I've dedicated the greatest amount of time to service in the Lord's kingdom. For he has promised that he that seeketh me early shall find me and shall not be forsaken. If you want to find success in your chosen pursuits here at BYU and in the future, spend time to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. One of my father's greatest challenges was to accept a newly called bishop in our ward, who was a neighbor and, according to my dad, was an irrigation water thief. This is something not to be taken lightly in a desert environment. Dad struggled in his faith to allow this good, however imperfect man, to serve him as God's representative. Likewise, newly revealed truth has often caused seemingly faithful members to stumble when it conflicts with their own ideology. Revelations by Joseph Smith relative to the restoration of the practice of plural marriage was a significant blow to the faith of many early saints, as was the manifesto which rescinded the practice, causing further fractionation in the church. As a missionary in Newfoundland in Canada, I saw the 1978 revelation allowing the priesthood to all worthy male members of the church test the faith of members who struggled to accept this new revelation. Regardless of the trial or the setting, it is important to know in advance who you trust and who you will follow, even if it seems counterintuitive to you. I take courage in the humble expression of one of my heroes, the great prophet Nephi, when he exclaimed, O wretched man that I am! Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh, my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. You see, that's the key. We are not perfect beings. Whatever form it takes in our lives, the time will come when God, by his own voice or that of his prophets, will command into the burn, 
And I bear witness to you that it is critical that at this point in time you know whom you trust and who you will follow. Because our response to this command will define our faith and it will define our place in the eternities. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Methods of Increasing Knowledge and Learning, with thoughts from Melissa Heath and Val Jo Anderson. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.